In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. So the big key in communicating is listening, learning to ask questions. The listening, be quick to listen, slow to speak, is huge. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of... The Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. And as you just heard, I am here with the deep baritone voice of the Man Card podcast producer and my good buddy, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. You're doing well. well. Drinking from the well? I'm drinking from the well. I went to buy you a coffee this morning. You rejected me. I'm a little bit hurt. Well, I wanted to save your finances because I made coffee at home. All right. Yeah, it's good stuff. I was going to buy you decaf anyway because I'm afraid that you know, I don't oh, have high blood pressure goodness. like me or anything. So. <laughs> You know, I just got I got to look out for you. So I uh, take care of the temple, so I don't have to worry about high blood pressure. <laughs> oh, there's so many things I want to say right now, but I'm not gonna because I'm a Christian. That's so okay, hey, hey. Uh, so you got a man word for me to guess today? Yeah, I got a man phrase. Go oh, ahead. it's a man phrase. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Let me. It's a man phrase based on our guest. Man, this is tough when you do phrases. The so word it's... is on the front of that book, I believe. Coaching your child. <laughs> Coaching. No, it's not on the front. Oh, you can't back. do that and have me back. guess and not put it on okay. there. It's on the back? <laughs> Hold on it's a really second. It's really hard to nail this down to like a word. I'm going to go down it. with Jesus parenting. Oh, That's my I'm, phrase right okay, there. Okay, so you could... You could that's a lot of words. So well, you said it was a I'm phrase. Gonna, I know. I'm going to go with the word slow. Wait, you're just now, you can't ask me to guess the word and just make it up no, after I've guessed. No, I'm not making it up. I'm telling you. The well, word is, is the color slow. red or blue? It's red. No, it's blue. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Monty Python. I, I already told you I had the word okay. figured out. Okay, it's what is it? Slow. I'm slow? S- yeah, I have to use one word, so oh, I'm going man. slow. I don't do that. Slow I don't down. Do slow. <laughs> be slow to speak, quick to listen. <laughs> um, before you discipline, slow yourself down and and uh, look at everything that's going on. Get all the facts before you do things. So <laughs> it's uh, before that ner- knee-jerk reaction, slow down. Before you send that text message, before you say that thing that's going to hurt somebody, um, and I, I, I'll admit that this is something that I have to work on. Um, I feel like I just got rebuked. 
That's what I'm thinking right now. Really? Yeah, I think you just rebuked me. I didn't. I was talking about the book here. Oh, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because my grandpa, who is a man who I respect more than anybody, man, I just really respected my grandpa. He used to say to me, growing up, he would say, Jimmy, he'd say, a real man eats fast, talks fast, works fast, and carries a knife. And so all of my life, I thought, okay, that's what a real man does. He eats fast, he talks fast, he does everything fast, and he carries a knife. And then I realized... Wow, Jesus did none of those things. I bought into a false narrative. You know, Jesus did none of those things. And so uh, as as a parent, you know, doing all those things fast, I think that really was probably something that hurt me as a parent. I mean, I was a good parent, am a good parent, but I think there were some things I would go back and I would change. And when I read the book of our guest today, I thought, oh, I wish I read this book 20 years ago. This really would have helped me. And so uh, I really do appreciate that. So, hey, guys, want to remind you, if you have not already joined, that over 10,000 men from around the world in the Facebook forum called Men in the Arena, make sure you go and do that. And guys, and add some guys. If you add 2,500 guys, we will shoot you one of our Men in the Arena shirts. And, uh, guys, I, I got to tell you, in the book that we're going to talk about today, I discovered a nugget in this book that you need to just hang on till about midway, and I'm going to kind of pull the pull the sheets off this nugget and let you see this. This is a nuggeting truth in parenting that you just need to listen to. It was really uh, monumental. I'm really excited to share it with you. But before that, let me share you share uh, about our guest today. Uh, his name is Hal Perkins. Now you're not related to Bill Perkins, are you? No. Nope. Author Bill Perkins. He's a good friend of mine. Nope. Anyway, Hal is 72 years old. He lives in Belton, Missouri. He's been married to his wife, Debbie, for, wait for it, 49 years. When's your 50th, Hal? August 9th. Oh, mine is August 1st. Well, it's my 26th. Oh, well, but what do you got yeah. going on for your 50th? Are you going to take a trip with the kids? Well, we're thinking about what to do. We haven't got it nailed yet. 50 and 50 years man you are i'm sure you've written a book on marriage huh no i haven't I, <laughs> my wife would like to write one no <laughs> about you i haven't written <laughs> she's got some i've got two son-in-laws who make it who just make me have to get better and better as a husband so that's good oh that is good all right well hey mm -hmm. uh so hal has been married to debbie 49 years he was a pastor and author is an author was a pastor for 40 years and now he travels around the united states and the world as a conference speaker and he's been doing that for nine years so here's a guy who's really running his life well and finishing it wonderfully strong he's authored several books the gap meeting with jesus Journal for Disciples, Leadership Multiplication, If Jesus Were a Parent, which we're going to talk about today, and Walk With Me, and finally, Discipled by Jesus. So his greatest accomplishment in life is he's raised four godly children. All of them are in full-time ministry. Uh, he's raised triplets, which I read a lot about in the book, D David, Dana, and Deborah. They're 41 years old. And then Daniel, who's 43, all Ds. It's like your family, Dale, all H's. Yeah, except for go. Hal. Hal is an H, and the yeah. rest are D's, and yeah. you're Heather. You're yeah. all H's, and you're a D. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, it's just yeah. like your family only opposite. Wicked. Four yeah, H's yeah. and a D, yeah. and Hal is four D's and an H. Yeah, you know what? I, and I just Hal, I I looked at your book again, and I can't find the word slow anywhere on the front or the back. Or I know you totally made that up to stump me. I no, I swear I saw the word slow. Wow, you swear. <laughs> I swear, no, I thought I don't know about that. It's program. gone now. So, so there's something magical about that book. You oh gotta buy it. gosh, you're so funny. 
<laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, hey, Hal, what we're going to do is get you warmed up here. Uh, we're going to throw you. I know you like to do things, process, and, you know, as you were sharing earlier, process and uh, deal and slow, but we're going to throw you into our rapid fire round where things go very fast. So I've, for you, my friend, I've chosen the stoic round because uh, when I read your book, I thought this guy's thought a lot about some st- pretty deep stuff, and I looked at the titles of your books. And so what I'll do is I'm going to ask you these stoic or philosophical types of questions. They're not really deep, but they are profound, and I just want you to share them with our audience. All right, are you ready for that? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Number one, right now, what is on your heart? Hmm. Being a better husband. After 49 years. Is there an area that you're working on right now with you and Debbie? Yeah. Yes. Never push back until I've listened carefully and thought sensitively. Go slow. <laughs> Go um, slow. I'm a quick there shooter. You have it. See there? there I told you it's magical. It. That's it. I'll tell you what, that's really good, man. And that's, again, I'm glad, yeah, I'm going to veer away from that topic today because that's everything I'm not. So <laughs> avoidance, baby, avoidance, no. That's, I think, appreciate that. After 49 years, still, and probably after 59 years, you're still working on it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Hal, uh, besides Jesus, who's your greatest hero and why? Well, it's going to sound cheesy, but my son-in-law's. Really? Talk to me. They so love the Lord and are humble and gentle, but work and serve and put all of life together. They they play, they work, they serve, they're fun, they're serious. They just they just live it out the way I would like to. Appreciate you sharing that. So number three in a rapid fire round is this. If you were alone on an island and could only bring your Bible and one other thing what would that other thing be? Mm. Mm. Uh, a lazy boy chair. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Why, why that? Because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, if I got my Bible, I just need a place to read it, so that'd be good. Oh, man. I, yeah, that, I, I wonder. I had to put the word Bible in there because the guys, all guys that I interview would bring yeah. their Bible. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to yeah. let you bring your Bible, but what other yeah. thing? So yeah. lazy boy chair. I love it. Well, but you Dale, said, that's what you'd bring, a couch. Sectional couch, Dale? Oh, I do love our new sectional couch. Ooh, I would have to bring a big knife. Oh. Because <laughs> I don't want to die after I read my Bible. I want to be able to live and eat some food. So <laughs> cut down a coconut. So, hey, man, great answer. I love it. So what is one question, Hal, that you would like to ask God? Mm. Mm. Oh dear, that's a hard one. Yeah, I've never asked. That I would one like before, to ask so. him. I would like to ask him the extent of his sovereignty. I truly have lots of thoughts about that, and I don't need to expand on them. But I am very anxious to see. I personally don't think he does near as much as we accredit to him, but I think he talks to us all the time. And I'd like to find out when he releases his self-governing limits on his sovereignty. Yeah, there have been people battling that issue in the church forever. So, yeah, that's a great one. So, hey, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? 
actually truly bring every thought captive because my mind thinks so many things that are not God thoughts. I do know the truth. The Spirit shows me that I have the Word. But if I would think the truth, I would feel differently about every person I'm with. I would see them differently. I would treat them differently. That's the one thing I would tell my 20-year-old self. Oh, that's, that's so good. You know, life is so much more serious than we think when we were 20. And the things that we did when we were 20 are the things that we battle when we're 50, 60, 70. Mm. So uh, I, I, the things I battle as an adult, I uh, celebrated when I was 20. Interesting. You know what I mean? And so this is, yes. it's so, in yes. fact, that 15 yes. to 25 may be the most formative window for a man uh, besides those two and three years, early. you know, yep. early. Yeah. So really good. So, hey, hey, Hal, if I gave you $20,000... But you had, with the caveat that you had to spend it on a two-week vacation with your bride, mm. where would you go? Mm. Well, I know where she would want to go, and so we would probably go to Hawaii. <laughs> that's a that's what most guys say wherever she wants to go <laughs> oh that's good that's see there's wisdom you young guys listening there's wisdom right there. Need to listen to the wisdom of 49 years of marriage. So, hey, Hal, in five minutes, tell us your story, uh, your personal life, uh, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything else that you want our listeners to know about you as we jump into the interview questions. Mm. Well, I'm kind of boring. I try to live by four priorities, and truly, my love is to spend time with the Lord. Uh, that is my highest delight. And then out of that... I want to do well with my wife and our children, our grandchildren, and I, that is my joy. We, uh, I, I actually happen to love watching football and basketball and stuff. I was a coach, and I played ball and all of that, but truly, I love doing that which matters, and so I'm thrilled with that, and I, it matters that I spend time with the Lord, and then I help my wife and kids and grandkids as much as possible, and then... I love, I love, I love what we do. We travel around the country attempting to help pastors and their churches in actually being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And then I love hanging out with people who who don't know or don't care about Jesus at their level. I, I love I love going to games with them. I love doing stuff with them. They think we're going to games. I'm fishing, but I love to listen to them and value what they're what they're thinking, where they're coming from. I love hearing their perspectives. So that truly, that that is my life. I don't take a day off from in order to do hobbies. My I do my hobbies all day long, and and it's in those four priorities. So I, it's kind of boring, except I'm so excited and pumped. I love my life. Hey, that's okay. So I'm going to start with a pretty vulnerable question then. Uh, so you said that number three was travel. You help pastors to become disciples. Yeah, I, I should have said to grow as disciples because what it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus, although many people don't realize that. And so for me, it's all about Jesus who did nothing apart from the Father, and we do a lot of things. We think our own thoughts. We do our. We do what we want, as long as it's not evil, and we don't have to. I mean, we we just live most a lot of our life for ourselves. Well, that's walking by the flesh, and I don't want to walk by the flesh. I want to be led by the Spirit, and and I want to help pastors to determine that they don't have any free time. They they've been crucified with Christ. They died. Now it's not just them. It's Jesus and them, and He's the head, and they're not. And so so I want to help pastors 
think through theologically what it means to be a Christian, that is a disciple of Jesus, that is to live as he lived. And so I love being with pastors, and I love helping them figure out how to help their people actually be followers of Jesus, not just in name and not just occasionally, but all day long, which is a big, big task and job. So you and I are sitting here having a cup of coffee right now. I see you drinking yours. I'm drinking mine. So I've been a pastor 30 years, maybe, 30 years, 25 years. It's in a different venue now with with the ministry to men I'm doing, but... When I read that, you know, helping pastors to grow as disciples. So I've been, I read the whole book of uh, this morning, First Timothy. Yesterday I read the mm-hmm. book of Second Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Day before that, First Thessalonians. Day before that, you know, uh, Colossians. So I, I'm mm-hmm. in the Bible every day. I'm journaling uh, through uh, yes. the, every time in the Bible the word humble appears because I'm Perfect. working. I'm working on humility, and I am a man who try to. I try to pray in in chunks and blocks of time. So here's my question for you, and I'm being real honest and vulnerable. I'm going off the grid right now. Okay. I'm a little bit bored after mm-hmm. 30 years with doing this stuff. I love the Bible. I love prayer, but I'm a little mm-hmm. bit bored. I'm being really honest with you, and yeah, I, I, need to be, you. I need to be challenged spiritually. Good. I've got a guy in our church yeah. who I'm having conversations with I really respect. He's a 70-year-old man. He might be more. He might probably about 70, and I'm asking him to challenge me, but what are some things that you would say to me, I'm being a little selfish here, it's my own podcast, I guess I can be selfish yep. for a second, yeah. what are some yeah. things you'd say to me and Dale, who, Dale's been in ministry for, since when Dale, so ni- oh, th- oh, three? Yeah. Oh, 03, so he's been in ministry for a substantial time, both of us were Nazarene pastors like you, uh, what would you say to us, so I want you to like put on your job, your number three priority right now, what yeah. would you do to encourage us and challenge us spiritually. What are some things that we should look into to liven up our faith journey a little bit? I, I know it sounds horrible to say that, but I hope you understand Good. my heart. I think I do, and I love it. And I hope you're not irritated with my response. It's really quite <laughs> simple. We're called in Scripture to walk as Jesus walked. I haven't raised many people from the dead recently. I mean, the Bible, 1 John 2, 6, plainly says, if you don't walk as Jesus walked, you're not even a Christian. So that, that has, that's theological. We have to deal with it, and we're glad God sees the heart. But I would say to you, are you willing to realize that Jesus dwells in you by his Spirit, and he is to lead every thought, he is to lead every word, he is to lead every act, and as long as you're doing what you think or what you want spontaneously, superficially, quickly, whatever, you're still leading instead of following. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus is not just in name or not just occasionally, but it's moment by moment. And so for me, I'm challenged. I'm not bored. I'm brokenhearted at the level at which I still, after all these years, continue to lead instead of follow. Jesus dwells in me. He's the the groom. I'm the bride. He's the head. I'm the body. And so for me, it's a great challenge, and I would challenge you to think, okay, how many of my thoughts do I bring captive and talk with Jesus as if we were married because he did come to dwell in your house? How many of the thoughts that I have, and you have about 80,000 a day, do you actually slow down and say, Jesus, you dwell in me, you're the head, I'm the body, was that you? Is that me? I want to follow you. I don't want to do anything independently of you. So, tell me to- so I am very irritated by you. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. <laughs> no, yep. but you, what you did is you. I took my a question about me, and you segued it beautifully into your book without knowing it. So, in your book, you have two things in your book, Hal. That I'll be really honest with you. My my kids are 24, 20, and 22. 
three sons. So they're Mm -hmm. out of the home. But uh, as I read your book, I thought, oh, man, I needed this badly back when the kids were six and seven and four or whatever. And what you did to me just now is you said, you know, are you following Jesus? Are you are you taking making his thoughts your thoughts? And what I heard you say is this, and this is what the takeaway for me is, are you asking God what to do every step of the way? Because most of my prayer life is either in silence listening to God or talking mm-hmm. to God and telling him what I want or praising God or something. I'm usually talking to God or mm-hmm. listening to God, but I'm going to be honest with you, Hal. I can't remember ever asking, rarely, rarely asking, I shouldn't say rarely. In my daily prayer life, I don't ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I just ask for things. I ask for things, but I don't ask yeah. God to reveal yeah. certain things. So how does mm. question asking play into your personal uh, walk oh, with the Lord? It is huge. It is huge. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us is God, and he talks to us hundreds of times a day. I won't take time to try to prove that. He talks. He loves us. He knows every thought that we have that is either that is different than God's thought, either because it's ignorant in the dark or it's just wrong. It's counter God, and He loves us, and He wants He wants to help us, and so He talks to us. So it is critically important that I learn to be to test every thought. I truly um, He He guides. He promises. Jesus said he would lead, he would teach, he would guide, he would remind, he would convict us, he would tell us what Jesus is like. So I try and challenge everyone to ask the question, he's already spoken to us. We have the mind of Christ. We we probably know. I'm working on a massive project right now. I probably know the answer because the Holy Spirit doesn't have his arms crossed and saying, well, Hal, I love you, but I'm not going to tell you. I don't care about that. But he does care. Yeah. And so he's probably already made it aware. But i got so much other junk going on, I have to slow down. And say, Lord, is that you? In the night, I believe he gave me two new ideas about a big project I'm working on right now. So I need to learn. We have 80,000 thoughts a day, approximately. I need to learn to say, Jesus, is that you? And then every good and perfect idea I've ever had comes from God. Because every good and perfect gift comes from him. So if I've got a good idea, it it comes from the Lord. I have to be careful to judge it, to test it, or to test everything. And that's work. But relationships are work. So if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us and speaks, and he's the groom, and he's the head, it's probably good for us to zip it and listen. That's a big thing that the Father said to Jesus. He said to him, hey, to Pete, he said, listen, this is my son, listen to him. So I'm actually the question pre- I'm, is, Jesus, are you speaking? <laughs> I'm preaching on that exact passage this Sunday to church. There you go. <laughs> so there I have a go. notepad of paper here. This is what I take into every prayer room, and this thing gets filled up every time I pray, because in silence, God never speaks, always, always speaks. And so for me, in silence, and every good idea I've ever had about our organization has come from God and not from me. For me personally, though, I tend to be compartmentalized. I think as men, we are compartmentalized. And so asking God the constant questions was a huge part. You said relationships are work just now. And I really agree with that. And in your book, If Jesus Were a Parent, Coaching Your Child to Follow Jesus, you said that... um, you said something I thought was really good. You said, parenting with only positional authority often results in radical rebellion. Also, you said on page 181, the what without the why leads to rules without relationship. 
And that reminded me of Josh McDowell back in the 90s. He wrote, Rules Without Relationship Equal Rebellion. So speak mm. to me, as we, as we transition into parenting, what I've learned, Hal, is that when my children were young, I had uh, what you call in your book positional authority over them. Yes. So I yep. could I could for the most part dictate that they go to church that they that they have come down for breakfast and have breakfast with a family and family devotions that they do their chores. I could dictate it and I actually could dictate in a lot of ways the relationship, but now that my kids are adults, they dictate the relationship. Mm-hmm. Will I engage mm-hmm. with dad? Will I have these and I thought mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me. So speak to me about this concept of relational, in your book, you call it relational authority. And why is relational authority, what is a relational authority, and why is it so important in the parenting process? Well, it's absolutely essential. If Jesus were a parent, he would be full of grace. God is gracious. God loves. We love him because he first loved us. So a parent has relational authority when a child wants to please the parent because the parent is good. And so that should start and never end the whole life of the child. The parent always loves, has grace. It doesn't matter if the child's good or bad. The parent is determined, I will be good, I will care, I will serve, I will bless. The child knows and feels that. And when the child wants to please the parent because of the parent's goodness, righteousness, integrity, then the parent has relational authority by virtue of who the parent is, not by power or not by even reason, but by character. So, which is really good because we love God because the Bible says he first loved us. So we want to, in my in my virtual team last night, we had guys from six states meeting on a virtual deal, and we were talking about the integrity of a man, and what we came down to was the Bible tells us that God is integrity, God is holy, and because of his nature of integrity and holiness, and we are image bearers of, of God, that we should therefore be men of integrity, not because it's the cool thing to do in this life, but because we model our life and bear the image of the one who has the perfect integrity and perfect holiness. And so so we obey, and so as a, as a child, so you're saying that my children... If you know, as we raise our children, we want them to listen to what we say because we have modeled goodness and and uh, and a biblical example, and they want to emulate that as we. Mm-hmm. So it's Paul saying, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yes, they are motivated. They want to please us because we love them. Love is powerful. Yeah, and when someone knows that I love them, they they are drawn to respond. They want to actually please me. And love is not what we've made it to be. We've made it to be give them anything they want. That's the most naive craziness imaginable. But love certainly does what is best for the child, and that's where you get relational authority and rational authority and positional authority all tied together, and that's a whole other discussion. But I wanted to please my dad because he loved me but more than that i i want to live my i weep almost daily just this morning i'm reading revelation 2 and i'm weeping this morning because jesus talks about you've left your first love and i'm Mm. thinking i'm asking him jesus do i love you as much as i ever ever did and that 
is motivated not because he's commanding me, not because he's really smart, but because he loved me and he died for me. And I want to please him. I love it's that. relational That's authority. That's and, and every child deserves and desperately needs to have that in especially a father who says, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. You can't stop me from loving you. It might be a, mean I've got my, my face in your face. It might mean I've got my arm around you, but you can't stop me from loving you. If you've got a problem, you don't have a problem by yourself. We've got a problem because I'm your dad. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. That's really powerful. Hey, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor. We're going to come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, Hal, you know, you talk about uh, this um, relationship and this relational authority. And I th- I look at, you know, I think about my journey with my kids. And I think the breakdown was not, and I'm a good parent. My kids are great kids. But if there was a breakdown, it was not in my love for my kids. They know that. We say I love you all the time. We act I love you. But the breakdown for us, and I think the breakdown, Dale, I think it would be safe to say for your family, is communication. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're not communicating. It's how we're communicating. Yep. So, right. um, so you wrote down in your book, you know, the problem sometimes how, is how parents communicate. You wrote, parents are to lovingly and clearly communicate what their children are to do and explain why obedience is absolutely necessary. So what are some ways or helpful hints that parents can use to communicate lovingly and clearly to their children? What are some things that you've seen and practiced as you raise your children? Well, when they're very, very young, obviously you state it clearly. When they can speak, you have them say it back so they understand, and then you ask if they understand why. And so the big hint there is I made one statement, but I asked two questions. I said, you tell me what I said, and you tell me why I said it. So we're communicating not just the what, but the why. And as the children grow older and older, the key is that the parent listens more and more and more and transitions from directing. Every time I tell someone something, I'm treating them like a baby. I'm treating them as if they don't know anything and they have to learn from me. Far, far better 
to immediately start asking what they know, find out what they think. They're learning things all the time. They know stuff we don't know. So the big key in communicating is listening, learning to ask questions. I stole that from Jesus. I, when I was trying to learn how to make disciples the way he did, I saw he always asked questions. That's when I started figuring out I need to ask questions. And so the listening, be quick to listen, slow to speak, is huge. Find out what they think. Find out what they think about what they think. Find out if what they think is what you think. Say, is that what I think? Well, what do you think I think? What do you think about what I think? And my sons love to have fun with me with that stuff. But it's listening is the big key. And, and not talking until you've drained them and then even asking permission. May I share with you what I think? And you can start that very early. And you, as you go along, it, it increases in your listening and asking questions. And then you'd be able to shape them by the questions you ask. And they want to come to truth. They, they, they don't want to ruin their lives. They want the truth. But if you tell them, then there, there's this proneness to feel dominated but when they're sharing the truth opening up and then being asked about the rationale for their position then they have to think it through in front of you and with you and the truth gets found and you didn't tell them they figured out by themselves and you trust the holy spirit to help them even if they're not christian the holy spirit still loves them and talks to them where were you 20 years ago man (laughs) No, this is good because, you know, my kids will never doubt my love and we have a great relationship. But, you know, uh, as a parent, Hal, again, I'm just being honest and I want our guys to understand that, you know, we're not perfect. And I'm, I'm, I'm being authentic here and saying here's an area where I have been imperfect as a parent. I would go into pastor slash lecture mode, right? Mm-hmm. And I just talk, think, talk, talk. yes, and I think, uh, I actually read your book, I finished it about a week ago, I had a uh, experience with one of my sons last week, and I after I read your book, and I went to the question asking format. And that really is a powerful format. It's easier said than done, but it was really powerful. And I love this power of the question, and I loved your, in your book, you know, the question, what do you think? I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Talk, I, I want you to just to go back again and, and and restate some of the things you've already said. You know, you said they don't want to ruin their lives. They want our help. So how, you know, how do you slow yourself down? Because you'd already know oftentimes the right path or the answer. But how do you, how do we slow ourselves down and ask the right questions? What are your thoughts about these right questions? The good shepherd knows his sheep comes back to relationships, doesn't it? I don't know you unless I listen to you, because who you are is not the shirt you're wearing or the job you're doing. It's your thoughts, it's your emotions, it's your desires, and therefore I need to be persuaded that that we you have to guard your heart, because everything you do comes from your heart, and therefore if I care about you, I need to know your heart, but I have to help you figure out your heart. And the way to do that is for me, every time I tell you something, I'm just adding more to what's already there. I need to find out what is already there. And so when I'm convicted and persuaded that the most important thing about you is your heart, by that I mean your thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Mm-hmm. Your desires, delight in the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. I need to be persuaded that that your heart is an infinite treasure and I want to know you 
which is a combination. It's the part of you that's made in the image of God, the part of you that lasts forever, your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your personality. So I want to listen to you. So I take you out. I get with you to find out what's going on, not what happened to you, not even how you react, but why? What was your response? And so I listen and listen and listen by asking questions and questions until we figure out what were you thinking? How did that think thinking determine your behavior? So I'm wondering here, but it's just the conviction that I want to know you, therefore I will zip it. I will not try to teach you anything until I've emptied you of everything. It's just about not being selfish. It's, it's about not assuming that I know and you don't. It's assuming that you already have good ideas, you have perspectives, and I want to hear them. Even if you're four, you've been thinking for four years. You've been gaining information. I want to hear what you think and what you feel and what you want. It's huge. So th this is huge, and I, I am... I'm dumbfounded. I have read a hundred books on parenting, and I've never heard this before. And this isn't even the nugget of truth I was telling our men about. The nugget's coming. So what are some of your favorite questions? Well, the basic ones are the hard-opening questions, and there are many, many derivatives from that. But And let me prelude it by saying, and, and this is probably going to be inappropriate, but if you're dealing with a man and a woman, there's only two body types. And, and no one would ever allow a man to rip open a woman's clothes because that's her. That's private. You, that's, that's absolutely, that's terrifying. If a man did that, he'd be in jail. Well, the heart is infinitely more personal, more private than the body parts. The body parts are pretty much the same on everyone. But my child's heart is unique. There's no one with his thoughts or his emotions. And I need to be very, very cautious and very careful, very sensitive. I need to go in very slowly and thoughtfully. I'm dealing with his secret, his most personal core issues. So I have three basic questions. They're real simple. It's the obvious one is what happened, so we listen to their life story. But then, okay, when that happened, you don't need to, but would you be willing to tell me how it made you feel? Everybody knows that. What What did you, I mean, that that's a simple one. How did that make you feel? And they'll probably know. Okay. But then, well, because your th emotions probably come from what you were thinking, what can you remember what you thought or what do you think right now? What do you want? What did you want then? So those three basic core questions, what did you think? What did you feel? What did you want when done? If you do it quickly and, and just barge in, you'll probably turn them off. But if they know you care and you go gently and patiently, to get them to think about what they were thinking, to think about what they were feeling, to think about what they were wanting, then you can open the heart and you can talk about it, and then you can begin contrasting that with what you think or feel, or even what Jesus thinks or feel. We don't lead them to Jesus once. We need to lead them to Jesus time after time after time after time after time, and this is how we can do that. What did they think? Do you, do you, do you trust Jesus? Oh, yeah, I do. Do you know what he thinks about you? You... 
you're thinking this about you is that what Jesus thinks about you. So now I'm into discipling your kids by knowing their heart. But that's it. That's just really powerful because I think, well, do you think that a lot of the people that you're working with, their default is the lecture phase and not the listening phase? You just did a great thing. You started to tell me what you thought, and then you stopped, and you asked me what I think. Personal growth. So you get, a, get an A. Personal growth. Is this so your experience? I was, I was thinking about that, and I wasn't listening to your question. Do you remember the question? <laughs> oh, man. Insert rebuke here. No, I'm just kidding. No. So um, is, is in your experience, do you find that the people you're working with uh, tend to default more into the lecture oh. phase or listening phase? Oh, I say it so much that people get irritated. I say pastors and parents and most others talk, 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 teach, 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 teach. And and it is it is just we have to we have to get drilled into our core. Jesus was quick to listen and slow to speak. He didn't say anything except what he heard his father tell him to say. If we're going to follow Jesus, we got to quit leading. we got to follow. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. It needs to be a mantra for every pastor, every teacher, every, every parent, everyone who's trying to bring someone along. We, you can talk a little bit, but then find out if they've got it and find out what they're going to do with it. And then, So we need to listen a lot more than we talk. That is so powerful, man. I really appreciate that. Dale's going, Jim, you need to listen to me. <laughs> so, so hey, uh, we tell our men in the arena that they are spiritual leaders in their home, and we often yep. get yep. these fried egg eyes. Their just eyes yep. get big. They say things. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? And I and I have seen personally that we don't articulate this well to men in the churches today. Mm-hmm. But on page fifty six, you offer some offer some very practical steps. Uh, a father can literally tra- train a child in the faith. And honestly, this is the nugget of the book. I think the question asking is a, a, a wonderful thing, but it really comes out of this nugget. And in the book, this nugget, I, and I think as a spiritual leader, I'm going, okay, this is a nugget that our guys can implement today with their children in the home, and you called it the personal, uh, personal weekly meeting or personal regular meeting. Can you? And then in that meeting, you said that you involve uh, formal teaching, informal but conscious faith training, and a demonstration of your faith. Can you uh, talk to us about the conception of this personal regular meeting with each of your four children and how that played out and what happened there? Yeah. It's hard to be concise because there's an awful lot built into it, but it starts with Jesus made disciples and he spent one-on-one time. It's much different spending one-on-one time than one with three time. When you are meeting alone, you can get much, much done that you cannot get done when you have a group. So I think if I, re- I think every child deserves and desperately needs one-on-one time with a person who deeply cares about them and has 20 or 30 years advanced wisdom beyond them. So when we were committed to making disciples, we knew we had to spend one-on-one time with them. So I set up an appointment every week with each one of them. And I, there's a lot of history behind that. And so my basic goal, we, we did 
we made Jesus the focus in a group process where we said Jesus was a curriculum. But in the one-on-one time, the child was the curriculum. Hmm. So, so I want to know you, and I alluded to it earlier. So in the one-on-one time, which was a date set aside every week, it was on the calendar. The kids grew up just knowing that every Tuesday at 2 o'clock, we went out on our date. Every, each one had a different day. And so they grew up thinking that was normal, thinking that was just the way it was and found out that it wasn't normal. <laughs> we went out, and my general process was this, and it came out of a whole life given to trying to learn how to make disciples. I listened to their story, number one. Tell It's not rocket science. What happened since we met last? What are the good things? I mean, I didn't, but tell me what happened. When they told me something good, we know where every good and perfect gift comes from. We could trace it back to God. We could celebrate and rejoice in the good that the Lord did, that they did, and the people did, and that was powerful. They were seeing God at work. But there were always, and the proneness would be because they were open and they knew I would accept. There was, it didn't matter what happened to them or what they did. I loved them. I wasn't going to react to it. They would tell me the difficult things, the challenges. Okay, we got a problem. So that's their story. The issue is not what happens to them. The issue is how they respond. And how they respond is based on the condition of their heart. And Jesus is in their heart. They were believers at a very early age. The Holy Spirit dwelled in them. But the Holy Spirit doesn't force his will. He allows freedom. And so I had to help them think of what was their response to the bad things that happened. So Johnny hit you. Susie said that. You got a C when you thought you should get an A. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. They had a problem. Okay. Then, okay. So what do you think about that? And so here were those core questions I already alluded to. Didn't know you were going to ask me this question. And so what what do you think about what happened? I, I remember our son once told me about about that we were talking about the future. What what do you what do you think you should do? And it was very important that he study for a test. And and he said, Well, I I think I should I think I should study. And I said, So what are you going to do? He said, I think I'll go play basketball. And we roared, laughed, but at least he had it out in the open and he was making a choice. And in that case, he was a junior in high school. And so that was his choice. And I was just helping him think through options. So bottom line is that I would ask them about their response. And it was those three basic things. What did you, what do you think about what happened? And especially your response. What do you feel about that now? What do you did you want to do then? What do you want to do now? How does that contrast with what you know about Jesus? Do you really trust Jesus? Well, have you asked him what he wants you to do? And so we're coaching them through every week and through their life circumstance to learn to slow down, to think with Jesus, and then to say his words and do his works as a fruit of relationship. That was the goal. And that's what I, I mean, that's our challenge. We get a few little doctrines and we get a few little behaviors and we call ourselves Christians, but we don't have any relationship, very little relationship when he's with us all the time to lead us in everything. So that's training them to be led by the Spirit moment by moment. And then that's, it's a six-hour seminar. I'm just talking quickly off the top here. Well, but it's really good because, you know, it's a seminar and I think when we think of leading our children and discipling our children, I think a lot of men are intimidated, but you've laid out something that's, 
I want to say it overly simple, but it's it's so doable that every yeah, man listening to this podcast needs to go out and set an appointment with every child and walk them through this. Qu- it's just make an appointment. I'm sitting there going, man, my I've got a freshman in college, a sophomore in college right down the street. i got to go have lunch with that kid today and just start doing this stuff, and he's an adult. This is Can wonderful I tell you a stuff. story? Yes. Can I, do we have time for a story? We have plenty of time. I've, I've got on my screen a man has just sent me an email. I can see it. He has been asked to fly from Florida to Kansas City to be a part of a seminar, uh, a one-hour presentation that we're doing next week or a few weeks for a denominational thing. He traveled with me and was brokenhearted. He traveled with me for three weeks and heard me talk all the time. He was a pastor. He was a district leader. He had lost his children. Mm. He played baseball with them, and they loved baseball, and they talked baseball, and he coached baseball. But he took them to church and let them listen to him preach. And in the process, they got connected to church, but not to Jesus. Pretty soon they drifted from the church and got disconnected from all of it. So here, here's the it's, – it's, again, it's a much more of a story than I'm telling you. But here's the bottom line. He called all of his grown children, age 25 through 35, and he said to every one of them, when you were young, I discipled you in baseball. I didn't use that word, but I talked about baseball. I loved baseball. I took you to baseball games. We talked about baseball all the time. I coached you. I watched you. I supervised you in baseball. We practiced, and you got good at baseball. You loved baseball, and we, it was just our life. I didn't make disciples. I didn't disciple you with Jesus. I preached, but we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't have a process. I didn't know how to, and I'm sorry. Would you give me a chance? And the kids all said, oh, Dad, you did fine. He said, no, no, no. Would you let me? Would you let me? Here's what we'll do. If you're willing to call me, if you're willing to call me once a week, I'll give you any hour of the week. You call me. I promise. I won't teach you a thing. I won't tell you one thing. All I'll do is ask you five questions that Jesus asked, and I'll let you give your answer to me. I'll let you give your answer to Jesus. But that's all I'll do. And all four of his grown children, two of which were totally out of the church, the other two on the back pews of the church, said, sure, Dad, we'll do that. All four of them started calling him. And all he did was ask them five questions that I use in our formal discipling process. And he asked them the questions, and they answered him, or they answered to Jesus directly. And it wasn't long till all four of his kids were radically following Jesus and hired on church staffs, helping others, discipling others. Point being, it's not, it's not rocket science. We can do this. That's the point. And, and there's always hope. I mean, you, you could do this with your grown children. And, and wherever they're at, you could bring them much closer to Jesus by asking good questions and listening. Let them talk to Jesus based on the questions. Well, that, That's a whole other book. I'm going to do that. I, I just love that approach. It's antithesis to what I've done. but uh, And you talk about this in your book on page 129. You talk about the problem, and you just illustrated that wonderfully, of parents who are functional deists, or mm. I would also add functional atheists. Talk talk to us about that. Well, well, a functional deist says God <laughs> made everything, but now I'm responsible for everything. God's not there. Yeah. A functional atheist treats God as if he doesn't exist, a functional deist probably treats God as if he doesn't matter. 
No. He's here, but he doesn't matter because you're not doing anything. And so we leave Jesus out. We make him a doctrine or a set of behaviors instead of a person who dwells in us by his spirit and talks to us. We can have relationship with him. And we need to have relationship, but we need to coach that relationship. But we can't coach it if we don't have it. So that's why our own time with Jesus is the most essential, profound, powerful thing that we ever do for our kids or our spouses. Because that's when Jesus is actually real and we find out we're honest. Am I following Jesus or am I playing games? Do I say I believe him and do most of what I do on my own? So there it is. That is wonderful. On page 105 in your book, you said this, and we're running short on time. Uh, I feel like we probably need to get you on again and talk about some of this stuff because I think this parenting is a huge issue for our men in the arena, and God has given you the ability to simplify it in in easy, doable, simple, yet profound and powerful things. And on page 105, you said something, and you said it again later in your book, and I want you to speak to this point. You said, quote, sooner, and this goes back to your buddy who is the baseball coach and pastor, sooner or later we behave according to what we actually believe. And so based on that statement, which I agree wholeheartedly, what are some faith behaviors a man needs to model? Relationship. Model with your language that Jesus is a real person. He is present. I listen to him before I speak. I listen to him before I act. I'm committed to that. I mess up, confess all the times we fail. I said to my kids all the time, when you see anything in me that's not like Jesus, you'll be my best friend if you'll help me to see it. But make Jesus a very, very real person who is present with us. He's not an idea. He's a person, and he talks. He talked 2,000 years ago, and he's present. He said it'd be better for him to be in us now than with us like he was with Peter. So, We have to honor the Holy Spirit, talk as if he is present, as if he matters, as if he is doing things, and because it's true. And if you don't truly believe that, then you certainly won't talk it. And even if you do believe it, you'll have to practice because the culture around us does we are nervous about even talking about Jesus. We talk about everything but Jesus. We talk theology, we talk church, but we don't talk about Jesus. So to model it is to model the presence of a person who matters to me. And some of our biggest and most difficult conflicts were over, well, I think Jesus wants this, and you think he wants that. So we got to figure that out. But it was us trying to actually follow Jesus because he was present and real. So that's that to me is the the issue model relationship with a real person that is so good and i and you had written on page 29 don't and this goes along with what you just said don't underestimate the power of opening your imperfect heart to your family and and i mm. think sometimes as a parent i know i did this <clears throat> you you want to appear infallible to your children like yeah. i'm this great yeah. model of jesus yeah. and i think that's a mistake Bad. So, Big mistake. And, and your friend who was the baseball coach and pastor figured it out and made, went and made that right about 20 years yep. later, and it was it yep. worked. And yep. so um, will you share some personal stories with us or, 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 or some stories of how, uh, how we open up and, and uh, some things? I mean, let's share a personal story about when you had to open up a failure uh, and how that mm. went. Hmm. Well, reaching back there in a few years. Yeah, well, I can do it. Recently, I was speaking to a <laughs> national prayer conference, and 
probably about 1,500 people there. And the day before, I had reacted to my wife. And so this isn't about kids, but it's the same deal, exactly the same thing. And so right there in front of 1,500 people, I'm talking about a word that I use called vertizontal, which means we which means we listen to people and then we listen to the Lord and then we give back what God gives us to give instead of pushing back out of our flesh. And I was talking about that in front of all these people and it was in the context of praying without ceasing, praying continually. And so my wife was sitting on the platform because I was having her there as a prop. I had several people on the platform and it just dawned on me how much I had pushed back on her the day before and because I just believe we desperately need to confess our faults to one another, confess your sins to one another, and pray for each other you might be healed. It's huge. Humility, as you talked about, is the most critical thing because it's not about me. It's about God and others. And when it's all about me and my pride and my success, blah, 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 it's a mess. So right in front of, it's what came to mind, right in front of God and everybody as a preacher, I just looked at my wife and had to say yesterday, and we all know this, but yesterday I pushed back. It was wrong. I wasn't following Jesus. He never pushed back. So, so when you, so I would probably push on that statement a little bit, but I would say that I think reacting, if we're reacting, I think that's a major problem. And I am a reactor. And Mm -hmm. so, and my reaction is usually emotionally it's an anger, it's frustration. So, Mm -hmm. what would you say to us as men? and parents and husbands when we react what would you how would how could you curtail that behavior well first let me irritate you a little bit (laughs) (laughs) how many times did jesus push back and talk or act out of his flesh when people treated him badly Oh, okay. So that's a different statement. I would say I would say he pushed back a, quite a bit, but not in a fleshly way. He would push back with spirit. Yes. Give, hey, give me that coin was, right there. What's on that coin? Lit. Or his that's last right. week when he was alive, he yeah. pushed hard on the that's Pharisees. Right. But what I found about yeah. Jesus is, but, but but it was it was spirit led and yes. gracious truth. It was not flesh driven. And so spirit will have us speak truth in love and with clarity and strength, but it's spirit-given. It's God. It's not flesh. So that, that was uh, my push Well, no, no, I, 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 I think we're agreeing on the same things. Yeah. I, I'm going to, yeah. you know, what I saw, especially the last week when Jesus was alive, he was harsh on the, yep. the Pharisees and Sadducees. And here's why, I think. With the humble, Jesus mm-hmm. always gave grace. With the pride, he gave the law. And the law, by virtue of the law, is harsh. And so I'm not saying he was out of the flesh or he was angry. I'm saying what he did in his righteous, you know, the cleansing of the temple. Yeah. Right? And and we don't even know what his tone was like. He might have said, he might have winked at him and smiled and said, you guys are acting like jerks. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure when he's swinging whips in the temple, he he had a look of a, 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 it wasn't a gentle stare. (laughs) Could could, could be. We don't know for sure. Yeah. How how do you, how would you, how do we as men work on reacting? Mm -hmm. 
in a way that is like Jesus instead of a fleshly way, which would be anger, frustration, impatience? Number one, be extremely gracious with ourselves, knowing that we've got bad habits and we'll fail, and model Jesus' grace for us by confessing that we do come short, as you were asking me about. That's huge. Number two, and I have this planned as a sermon, but number two, <laughs> make an absolute commitment that it's not okay for me to walk by the Spirit, but I'm called to follow Jesus, be led by the Spirit. It's not okay for me to be unchristlike. I will be. I hate it, but it's not okay with me. And so I'm committed to always following Jesus rather than making him follow me. And so I will come short with you, and I'm sorry, I can tell you in advance, I will come short, but I will hate it, and I will love you for telling me when I'm coming short, when you see it, and I don't. And number three, I'll do everything I can to make it right. I'll find myself. I'll let you spank me. We'll do whatever. I'm going to do whatever I can for me to be right. I don't want to ask you to be right, but me not to be right. I'm called to be an example to you, and you can know that I'm committed to following Jesus with every thought, every word, every act, and I will come short, but I will hate it, and you'll, if you'll show me, I will be grateful to you because I need help, and I'll work on it, and we'll work on it together because we, the best thing for both of us is to follow Jesus. That's so good, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, last uh, last question here, Hal, non-related to your book. Here at the Man Card Podcast, we define manhood as five things. Protecting mm. integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, that's the summit of manhood, leading courageously and finishing strong. Which of these five stands out for you right now, and why? I'd say the middle one, pursuing God yeah. passionately, because that takes care of all the rest. That yes. will take care of all the rest. Yep. No, I appreciate that. So, hey, how can our men in the arena pick up uh, your resources or learn more about you if they want to get this book or any other of your, I think you wrote eight books, six books? How can they pick those up? you have a website that they can go to? Discipledbyjesus.org or heartwalk.us. They'll get there that way. Or go on Amazon. Or go on Amazon, yep. (laughs) Well, hey, that's awesome. Hal, thanks so much for coming on our uh, podcast and sharing your uh, simple and profound wisdom. Uh, I'm actually, personally, I mean, I'm personalizing this. I'm going to go work on my reacting so I can be nicer to Dale, and I'm going to... (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, as far as the question asking, I mean, you have uh, unleashed some powerful powerful nuggets today. Simple, doable, not, not... not something we have to philosophize through it and try to sift through the, the terminology, but just really profound stuff. Really thank you for that. Hey, guys, so, uh, Hal, uh, we're going to try to bring you on again sometime because I think you got way more to offer us as men and as parents. So thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Great to be with you. So, Dale, drive us home, brother. Yeah, for uh, you guys out there to be your best version, we realize you need to be in a daily discipleship in the Word. So we want to challenge you guys to go to our website, pick up your free 365 daily devotional, The Bathroom Book for Men. And you can also go to our the store part of our website and pick up a physical copy, put that on the back of the toilet, have it there, have it someplace where you can pick it up and read one entry a day. I mean, it's simple. So until next time. Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. 
Men in the Arena is a non-profit, crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.